Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, coming to you today with the pleasure of speaking with Christina Gonzalez, who is a Professor of Medicine at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and Montefiore Medical Center. She and her colleagues have a paper coming out in the June 2021 issue of Medical Education entitled Qualitative Analysis of Medical Student Reflections on the Implicit Association Test. Welcome, Christina, and uh, thank you for, for making the time to chat. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to talk with you because your paper takes a very different approach to studying the implicit association test. It's one of those things that I'm sure many, if not all, people listening to this will have heard of by this point, usually in the context of using it to try to reduce or at least raise awareness of people's biases. But you actually you started to explore much more detail uh, how people are using it and whether or not it's able to have the effects that it's become well known for. So let me just start by asking, what did you think was missing in this literature that led you to think that was an important activity? So I've been doing work in medical education research on implicit bias, recognition and management for the whole span of my faculty career, basically. And what I've noticed is that um, have very good intentions, and the, but there's a assumption that if you raise awareness, that behavior will change. And I have not seen that in my own personal life or in my own behavior happen. And so we have always worked towards a skills-based curriculum. And so I wanted to see if we can get students aware of their biases and accepting of their biases, how did that translate then into future next steps? Because I suspected that that assumption was not actually panning out in terms of that, that awareness leads to behavior change. And so maybe I can ask you then to explain a bit to those listening how you use it with your students, at least in general, and in doing that for the sake of those who don't know what the implicit association test is, would you mind just offering some of those details as well? Sure. So let's start with the details of the implicit association test. People refer to it as the IAT. And it's a free and publicly available online, what's called a latency response test. And so basically it pairs images and value-laden words. And it's a very fast test. And down to the millisecond of how you pair the words is thought to be representative of your unconscious or your implicit bias. And so if you're doing the race IAT, the black, white one, you got pictures of just the faces. So black people and white people paired with words that are either good or bad. So joy, fear, evil, you know, the very dichotomous, very obvious words and how quickly you would pair white people with good words and black people with bad words. And then the reverse is thought to be a measure of your unconscious bias. And so I use the term unconscious and implicit interchangeably. I try to use more implicit bias, forgive me. But what I want to say is that there's a lot of controversy on the IAT. And so we, although it has good psychometric data, we don't use it as an assessment point in and of itself at all. I'm not trying to actually measure your implicit bias or my implicit bias. And our work definitely does not try to change it beyond the scope of our talk today. But why we use it is what's called a provocative trigger, right? It's a, something that's like, oh, it makes you think, right? It has you have that aha moment. We follow transformative learning theory where you have that disorienting dilemma as one of the experiences that you can create. And so if you, if you take the IAT and you get a result that maybe you don't think aligns with your conscious egalitarian values, we work to help people think through that and help us change our assumptions. And then once you have that aha moment, though, you can't leave good people with good intentions 
and say, okay, well, now you know, so do better, right? <laughs> you, know, right. And you, you need to actually develop skills. And so we were doing this in-depth analysis to see where students were once they had awareness and had reflected on it to see what we could do for them next. And, and so what's the expectation for them? They go through this test and in order for you to be able to support them in the way that you've just described, what do they have to provide to you by way of explaining or exploring the aha moments that they've achieved? So just to be clear, we provide instruction about implicit bias before they take the test. A lot mm -hmm. of people do the, the test first. We think that you should have context and spend some time normalizing it and realizing that it's a coincidence of your lived experience and the way that we've been socialized. Mm -hmm. But because it can influence our behaviors, that's why we do research on trying to have skills to mitigate any negative influence implicit bias may have on an encounter. So all of that is worked on ahead of time. We do perspective taking and videos and for observing behaviors. And they reflect on three different prompts to try to explore their own assumptions, basically, and biases. And then they take the test after the class. And then they write about their reactions. Again, it's just a tool. We, and we highlight it's just a tool to raise awareness. And then they discuss their reactions to the test, the process itself, their results, and how those results may impact their work as a physician in the future. And that was the unit of analysis for this. Right. So those were essays that you used as your data set, as I understood it, that you identified. So you didn't tie them to any individuals, but tried to better understand what reactions they were having and what they intended to do and how they would try to change if they felt a need to do so. In thinking about that, that is the data set. Are there particular methodological details that you would want our listeners to know about to better understand how you analyzed and came to your results? So we following the methodology of constructivist grounded theory, and really we did it as a team and we independently and in duplicate analyzed a random subset of surveys in the beginning, built our code book, built our coding dictionary, went through the iterative process and kept sampling more and more essays until we had four years worth of essays. And then we sampled randomly the last 2017 to 2019, three years of essays to make sure that we had reached enough thematic saturation that we felt like we had a really good data set. And, and that led you to see that the responses laid along a continuum, which would use the specific word that you offered. What is the continuum in this context? As the themes emerged from the data analysis, what we saw was that there were reactions from our students that were very deep and profound. And Years ago, people often rejected this outright, but with the way that the conversations have changed over time and the way that our approach to instruction has changed over time, almost all the essays that we saw, people really accepted the presence of implicit bias in themselves. And really it was gut-wrenching to read some of them and how sad they were and how deeply they felt if they had bias one way or the other and how much it worried them that they were then hurting patients. And so time and again, they didn't want to be biased doctors. They were really deep worries about what did this mean? And have they already hurt people? And are they going to hurt people in the future? Mm -hmm. And some were not able to get much past that. They knew they didn't want to be biased doctors. And then the continuum goes from there. So they had the deep and profound reactions. And then the continuum of strategy development, basically, to discuss strategies of how they could make this not influence their future encounters as physicians really went from very superficial, hopeful. At one point we were like, your heart goes out to them because as you're reading them, it's like, well, you know, hope is not a strategy. And that galvanized me to make sure to 
really get skill development into the curriculum. This isn't a criticism of the students. We're not providing them with enough instruction and they really need to learn skills because they're prime. They want to do this. They just need actual skill development. And some had some further specified skill development, you know, awareness and standardization, and were really insightful in even realizing the pitfalls of a single strategy approach. So the continuum was from deep and profound reactions for the most part, to acceptance, to wanting to do more, to make sure that they didn't make biased decisions or have biased encounters as physicians in the future, to maybe superficial strategy development, but really left with wanting more. Well, and that latter part very much reinforces what you said earlier in this conversation about the importance of supporting rather than just offering some measurement of these things. When students did offer strategies, were there any that stood out as particularly profound in terms of their strength as a strategy? Or are there things that you as a faculty have discovered are more effective than some of the things that they were able to come up with? So... I'll take the first part of your question first, if that's okay, in terms of what that I find that they really were the more hopeful strategies or more potential for success. And those I think were the team-based ones. And so they really wanted to be able to have open conversations about this, debrief with other people, talk about it, just like we discuss any clinical encounter, you know, and run the clinical details by somebody. And so some of the students were looking to be able to find safe places to discuss this and debrief and strategize to be able to do better the next encounter and then continue to grow in an iterative process, right? As a growth mindset. The ones that concerned me the most were the ones that had, as I said, just hope or awareness or trying to almost suppress it and just almost be almost robot-like, one of the students said. And even that student realized the pitfalls right then and there, as you could tell as they were writing the next sentences. So for what I think, and our approach, what we're trying to teach is to layer all sides with empathy, right? So have these discussions. I don't actually think any one person is going to be able to do this on their own. I think it's going to be best in teams. If we're able to have discussions about implicit bias and debrief, just like you do, like I said, any clinical encounter, to say, hey, Kevin, I had an encounter today and it didn't really go well. Can I talk to you about it without me worrying that you're going to think I'm a racist, for example? Just be able to discuss it just like I would discuss like if I had a patient with an infection that I wasn't able to manage how I wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think those open and honest discussions, and we do a lot of work with that across the spectrum of training and practice, being able to have these discussions. And then also my dream is that if we can help each other in the team setting, especially for clinical decision-making, once the research gets there, so that if, in the sense that if I'm the person in charge of figuring out what's wrong and doing some of the clinical thinking, I'm not going to be able to see my blind spots. But what if there was a teammate, we're working in teams anyway in medicine, who was empowered to be able to be like, oh, Christina, really quick, one second. I think maybe, you know, when that patient said this, we didn't pay enough attention to it. We may have dismissed it and moved forward thinking about the hemorrhage in front of us or what have you. And so I think that that is the way that we're going to have to, I think that the successful research will go, but right now we're not quite there yet. Well, it leads me to one last question, which might actually have the same answer. But as you're talking, I can easily imagine there being many faculty in other institutions who care about these issues, but don't feel like they have the skill set themselves to support students in the way that you're doing and probably don't know where to start. What's your advice to those who do want to start building a program like you have if they don't have experience in this domain? 
I think encouraging opening and honest discussions. I think people do need to read about this just the way you would read if you were going to give an acute kidney injury lecture, right? And that wasn't your area of expertise. I think there's a lot of very good intentions that may not have the complementary science behind it. And I think we need to encourage people to keep the good intentions and the science going. I don't want to plug my, we just published a 12 tips paper on teaching implicit bias recognition. (laughs) And there's more and more faculty development in that. Actually in 2012, medical education published a framework by Kayla Thiel and colleagues that really guided my work from the very beginning of my career to now. And so I think finding frameworks and being able to collaborate with colleagues and hang your head on that and build it, I think is really, really helpful. But there's definitely very good literature out there now that if this isn't your area of expertise that you can read and ask questions and be able to start building. It's a great final answer, even just for the purpose of this podcast, is this paper that you've produced with your co-authors, which I'll remind people is called Qualitative Analysis of Medical Student Reflections on the Implicit Association Test. It's a wonderful starting point, and you'll find that in the June 2021 issue of Medical Education. The 12 Tips paper, I presume, to be in Medical Teacher with your, you as the first author as well, Christina Gonzalez, and that Gila Teal paper from 2012. Sounds like three very useful inroads. So thanks for sharing this with us, and thanks for taking the time to describe your work for everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.